Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2020, Children's Urban Fantasy, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Chapter 24, The Deal. The rat was right. It was cold and dry. Jenny started to shiver, clutching an unresponsive snake in a cage on the side of a Tibetan mountain right in the middle of winter. No, not a mountain, but foothills. It had been about a minute since James had disappeared through the portal, but she found herself wishing he was already back. How long's he gonna be? the rat said. Not long, Jenny said. We left a bird up on deck, distracting whoever was driving the boat, and he's going to bring it here. Sailing, the falcon corrected her. You drive a car. The animals had grouped together into similar species. The monkeys had climbed onto a particularly tall rock. The cats had found a flat, gravelly space on which to lounge. Three or four lizards were huddled together on a flat rock, hoping for the rising sun to warm their blood. She didn't know where the snakes had gone. None of the animals were saying much, but at least they weren't fighting. She shivered again. A noise echoed out of the portal. The noise of a wooden hatch banging open. Either James was in a hurry, or... She peeked through the portal and saw a shadowy figure coming backwards down the ladder. It wasn't James. Hide, she hissed to the animals. They scattered immediately, leaving her helplessly exposed. Her only option was to pick up the heavy chest and scramble with it up the slope. She put the chest down among the dry roots and stood behind the dead tree trunk. The falcon had taken to the air, hovering silently above the portal. From her semi-exposed position, Jenny peered around the tree and saw a head poke tentatively out of the portal. It had eastern features and looked rather confused after finding a hole in the boat that wasn't letting water in. The head ducked back out of sight and was soon replaced by two black boots, then legs, and then the rest of the sailor dropped lightly to the ground. They wore a set of shabby blue overalls, dirty with dark oil stains, and they were captivated by the portal. Jenny stayed completely still, clutching Rask's small cage to her stomach, only the edge of her face and one eye exposed. After some time examining the edges of the portal, the sailor moved away from it and surveyed their surroundings. Then they saw the tree. With all her will, Jenny forced herself to stay still. Any movement now would surely be obvious, and there was a chance she hadn't been noticed. The sailor took a couple of steps in her direction, and then another head popped out of the portal and called something out in a language that Jenny didn't understand. It could have been Chinese, or just as easily Tibetan. The sailor turned round, and the exposed head shouted again. It sounded urgent, and whatever it was got the sailor moving. They scrambled back and jumped up into the portal. A moment later, Jenny saw the reason for their urgency. The portal winked out of existence. That meant, wherever James was, he'd just either dropped the key to the air or pulled the silver nib from the feather. Jenny hoped he wasn't still on the boat, or in the air above the cold December sea. With the portal gone, Jenny relaxed and stepped out of her hiding place. Some rescue this is, the rat said, jumping out from behind a small rock. When you came to get us, did you have a plan for getting out? What are we going to do now? Walk home? He'll be back in a minute, Jenny said trying to sound confident. We just have to wait. 
It was warm on that boat, the rat whined, and they gave us food. Have you got any food? Not here. Jenny wished she'd brought the pet food that Adrian and Arthur had bought with her. How many falcons were there on that boat? the Empress said, looking skyward. Just the peregrine falcon, Jenny said. He was the only bird. In the sky, the silhouette of the falcon had been joined by three more circling above the animals. The falcon dived, and less than a second later was back on the branch. Friends of yours? the Empress purred. No, the falcon said, but I didn't get close enough to ask. Weren't they right next to you? Jenny said. They are five miles up, the falcon said, and that is low for them. They look like they were right there with you, Jenny said. But if they're miles away, doesn't that mean that they're... Giant, yes, the falcon said in a matter-of-fact tone, as if giant falcons were completely normal. It would be wise for us to leave before they arrive. They have certainly already seen us. I was just thinking the same thing, the rat said. I don't want to be food for no gigantic falcons. Eagles, the falcon corrected. Giant Tibetan eagles. Amazing creatures, really. But also monstrously huge, unbelievably powerful, and we're trespassing in their airspace. Jenny gazed at the giant birds, circling in lazy arcs and definitely getting bigger. You know, the Empress said, the last human to hold that cage did not last very long. Didn't do the snake any favours, though. They hardly ever fed it afterwards. Rask won't bite me, Jenny said. She held the cage up to her face. By the look of it, the snake wouldn't be biting anyone unless it got some help. The eagles were getting bigger their fan-shaped tails distinctly visible against the pale sky. "'How far away are they now?' Jenny asked nervously. "'Still over two miles up,' the falcon said. "'They're not in a hurry. It's not like we're going anywhere.' "'Did you see any caves or places we could hide?' "'Nothing close enough. We'd do better to wait for the boy. And I wouldn't want to venture into any of the caves round here anyway.' Jenny didn't want to ask why. "'You don't have another one of their magic quills, do you?' the rat asked. "'Cause if you do, might be a good idea to draw us away out of here.' A minute later, she could see the individual feathers on the wingtips and the curved shape of the eagle's beaks. It was enough to make Jenny's heart beat faster, despite the fact that the birds were still nearly two miles away. "'Come on, James,' she said under her breath. "'What are you doing?' "'If anyone has any last words,' the falcon said, "'it is probably a good time to say them.' I, for one, don't think I ever showed enough appreciation for reggae music. It was not clear whether the bird was joking, and Jenny never got the chance to find out, as at that moment a portal opened, and a very wet James floated through it, dripping onto the dusty rock. What happened to you? Jenny said. Actually, don't tell me. We don't have time. Let's go, everyone. The animals, most of which had found places to hide from the impending eagles, started to reappear. Jenny helped the ones that needed it up into the welcoming hands of the Green Hands gang. To her surprise, the portal led straight into Elf's big kitchen. Whoa, James said, floating next to her. Those birds are huge. Let's get out of here, Jenny said, checking that all the animals were accounted for. The shadow of the lowest eagle swept across the portal. The giant bird was looking right at them, probably waiting for a time to dive and grab them with its huge talons. Where's the chest? James asked, looking around. I left it behind that tree, Jenny said, passing Rask through and taking Wilf's hand. But leave it, we can come back later and get it. He looked as if he was tempted to float to it, 
So Jenny grabbed his wet shoulder and hauled him up into the kitchen. Close the portal, she said. An eagle's screech blasted through from the mountains and James jerked the silver nib from the feather. The portal vanished almost immediately. Thanks, he said. I didn't realise they were hostile. The big kitchen was packed. Most of the animals had moved away from the dining table, where Grauf was poring over Rask's opened cage. Whether it was the wolf or the subdued snake that they were afraid of most, Jenny couldn't tell. Cece appeared on the stairs and jumped herself onto Elf's shoulder and started combing through her short dark hair. Right, Jenny said loudly. Everyone listen. Any animal that lives in Brighton can leave, and that includes any members of the Green Hands gang that need to go home. You might just make it back in time for dinner. What about the bikes? Arthur asked. It'll take me some time to learn the word for the Engineerium, James said, but we'll definitely be able to bring the bikes back through tonight, and you can come and collect them tomorrow. What about the non-Brighton animals? Noah C. asked. The lizards, who were all sitting on a chair that had been dragged next to the oven to warm up, looked at Jenny. We'll get them home using the key to the air as well, she said. Just as soon as the bishop shows us the right words from the portal book. Where is the bishop? Sleeping in the toilet again, Arlo said. I had to use the upstairs one so I didn't disturb it. What about the watch list? Wilf asked. This time Jenny looked to Elf for an answer. My hope is that it contains information that is useful to me and to us, Elf said. But even if it does not, it has been taken away from the hands of evil. You have done a great thing today. You all have. Even though her last words were to the whole of the gang, she was looking directly at James when she said them. Okay then, Jenny said. Leave if you need to, and if you're staying, let's start by finding out where all the animals need to go home to. There was a flurry of activity as most of the humans and more than half of the animals left through the sliding door. Jenny joined Elf, Grouf and James, who were huddled at the end of the dining table. Rask was coiled on a piece of kitchen roll next to his cage. Will he be all right? Jenny asked. Hard to tell, Grouf said. He's hugely malnourished, but at least his heart is still beating. He's a tough one, Elf said. He'll pull through. What did happen to you? Jenny asked James. When I opened the hatch on the boat, one of the sailors was right on the other side. I jumped to avoid him and almost sent myself into space, but I just managed to grab hold of the crane thing. The bishop had been cornered at the front of the boat, right on the end of the prow, so I did a kind of human torpedo off the crane and snatched him just before he got snatched himself. But the angles were not good and the bishop couldn't pull us up in time, so we hit the water. I managed to keep the key out of the water, though, and the pigeon. How did you get back here? The poor old bishop was exhausted, and the boat people tried to chase us down. But luckily for us, there was a wind turbine not far away. We stopped off there, and I closed the portal and opened one to Preston Park, flew back to the house, and reopened one to Tibet. What was the deal with the eagles? The peregrine falcon said they were giant Tibetan eagles, Jenny said, and that they weren't happy with us trespassing. Well, it looks like we've got a lot of portal work to do. James looked over at the remaining animals. But first, let's get the bikes back from the engineerium. I've probably got a couple of hours before I need to be home. Better get started. There was a slink of white fur outside the sliding door. Jenny got up and let the empress in. It seems that someone has let the ringmaster's monkeys loose on the town, the cat said haughtily, and I suppose you expect me to round them up. 
Jenny had forgotten about the shoesies. Could you, she said. If you bring them here, we can send them back to wherever they came from. I suppose I owe it to my cousin, the Empress said. She did give up the dial I so wanted. Everything was a bit chaotic for a while. Then things calmed down as the evening wore on. Getting the bikes back proved to be more tricky than they'd thought. Not because it was hard to open the portal, James did that fairly easily, as Fred had already copied down the right word, but because some of the bikes didn't fit through. It turns out portals don't bend. By taking a few wheels off and trying different angles, they managed to get them all back through in the end. Those members of the Green Hands gang that had stayed to help left once the bikes were back. Then it was only the animals and Jenny, James and Elf left in the house. They had moved up to the comfortable sofa in the living room, where Elf managed to light a fire. Cece's golden fur gleamed in the glow from the flickering flames. The watch list was on the coffee table in front of them, next to the portal book. So that's what you travelled round the world to find? Jenny asked. Yes, Elf nodded slowly. I believe my parents were sent to the same place that the boat was headed, and I think there's some answers in that book. Will you go after them if there is? James asked. Of course, but it won't be simple. It never is, and I'm not strong enough to rescue them on my own. I know that now. I need time to work things out. I don't even want to open the book yet. You'll stay in Brighton, Jenny said. You've got friends here. I don't even know if I officially exist anymore. I've been thinking about that, James said. What if there was a way to give you a normal life again? or at least more normal, until you can find your parents. What even is normal? Helf asked. I do know that I never want to sleep in a caravan ever again, or perform stupid circus tricks. What do you know about the inspector? James asked. Not much, Elf said. The ringmaster hated him, but then she hated most humans. He runs a boarding school, James said, and he wants the watch list, but he doesn't know what it looks like. You want to trick him? Jenny shook her head. I don't think he's the sort of man that can be tricked. Not a trick. A deal. Saturday was mostly filled with portals. It turned out that agreeing to engage with the process of finding a new school was the best decision James could have made. In exchange, his parents were happy for him to be out of the house whenever he wanted, and no more tuition either. The bishop, after a long sleep in the sink, was back on top mentoring form. And the bird didn't seem to smell any more. That, or James had grown used to the smell. By the end of the day, about a third of the animals had been transported to their home countries. The word for Bulgaria was unbelievably long, and the portal took nearly ten minutes to open. But James had done it. Smooth and even. At lunchtime they had taken a stroll through the park, and found that the circus was gone. The only sign that it had ever been there was a circular patch of faded grass. This led them to talk about the inspector and Twitchell's school. James and his parents were going there on Sunday for a visit, and he wanted to sound out an idea past the two girls before he went. Elf had finally opened up the watch list. It was a bit of a disappointment, as it was mostly a list of names and addresses of children in the UK and round Europe but there were a few pages at the back that were either in code or in a very strange language. As per James's idea, Jenny and Elf spent time copying pages from the watch list into two blank notebooks. 
Occasionally, there was a name or a whole page written in a different colour or style. Jenny found that her and James's names were like that. After a quick discussion, they decided not to include those names in the copied version. At the end of the day, just before he had to go back to his house for bed, James remembered about the mysterious heavy chest that he'd stolen from the boat. He conjured a portal. Apparently that's what portal masters did. They conjured. Checked for any giant eagles, nipped across to the dead tree, and lifted the chest back to Elf's house. What do you think's in it? Jenny asked. Treasure, of course, James said. But I don't want to open it now. I'm seeing the inspector tomorrow, and something tells me that it's best if I don't know what's inside, in case he asks me about it. Twitchell's was a very grand school indeed. Both James's parents were impressed by the long driveway through acres of parkland and the stately appearance of the building. The inspector was waiting to meet and greet them at the main entrance, impeccably dressed as always. Welcome to Twitchell's, he said with a smile, where unlimited learning can unlock unlimited potential. Let me show you around, then we can talk about James's attendance. The school was just like the others that James had seen. Excellent facilities, swimming pool, tennis courts, football pitches, dorm rooms with ensuite bathrooms, it had it all. The students may not have been in weird gowns and long socks, but they were all dressed smartly in suits and shirts, even at the weekend. At one point, James's parents drifted over to talk to the science faculty head, and the inspector took James over to a grand alcove window that looked out over some kind of playing field. Not rugby or football, the goals were wide coloured posts with no crossbar. Thanks for your help the other night, the inspector said. That ringmaster is, or should I say was, a tricky opponent. What happened to the circus? James asked. I made a call and got it all cleared away. The inspector glanced across at James's parents. They were deep in conversation. I need you to know something about Twitchell's. Although all of the students here have been in some way affected by magic, well, either that or they're incredibly rich, but we don't do any kind of magical lessons here. It's all regular teaching, albeit with some rather unorthodox methodologies. That caught James out. What, you don't do any magic, he said, not even with animals? No, I'm afraid not. It's off the curriculum. And furthermore, I would have to ask you to surrender any well, magical artefacts before you came. The ringmaster stole most of them, James said comfortably. This was the truth, after all. Things like the badger stones, the inspector pointed at James's wristband. What if we could come to an agreement, James asked. An agreement? I have stated the rules that must be followed. But you use magic. The ringmaster called you a mage, and you had a glowing sword. I bet you haven't surrendered that, have you? You are right, I haven't the inspector admitted with a nod. But a slight difference in rules for adults and children isn't much of a bargaining tool. Oh, I wasn't bargaining with that. I was just making the point, James said, that magical artefacts may remain in someone's possession while they attend Twitchell's. And that's one of my conditions. Your conditions? Yes, my conditions for a deal, James said. Firstly, we can keep whatever artefacts we still have. He held up the wristband. We? I'm getting to that. Secondly, that you spend at least some time teaching us about magic. And thirdly, that you make places available for Jenny and Elf. Of course Jenny will be offered a place here, the inspector said. Usually, we only accept students at the start of the academic year. 
I am making an exception for you already. And Elf is an unknown, and unknowns are out of the question. But tell me, the inspector's eyes were fixed on the Badgerstone, if I could agree to your conditions, which I can't, what is it that you can offer me? James opened his bag, pulled out a single page copied from the watch list, and handed it to the man in the suit. The inspector read through the page, eyes scanning from top to bottom. The watch list, he murmured. You had the whole thing? Yes, James said, but not with me. I'll work out how to give it to you, provided you agree to my conditions. The inspector folded the sheet and tucked it into the inside pocket of his jacket. The watch list in return for the retention of some magical artefacts, three places at this school, plus a little magical teaching, he nodded to himself. You drive a hard bargain, but I agree to your terms. You have a deal. He held out his hand. James hesitated, then shook hands with the inspector. Now, the inspector gestured to James's parents. Let's go and work out the details, shall we? Something about the whole exchange made James uncomfortable. He shook the feeling off. Whatever the future had in store, he knew that he would get through it fine with Jenny and Elf by his side. And perhaps a little help from the Green Hands Gang. <laughs>